Good morning. Good morning. If you're excited to be in the house of God with the people of God, let me hear the church say amen. You guys sound so good today. I'm so excited to be with you. My name is Aaron, and for the past nine months, I've had the privilege of serving as your creative pastor here at Stone Creek Church, and it's been an amazing ride. My family and I have just felt so embraced by the church family here. My wife, Andrea, is, as our marriage counselor told us, way too good for me. Um, She is like a Holy Spirit-filled Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way. My eight-year-old daughter, Valentine, is just like a four of nature and life. And my five-year-old son, John Charles, we like to call him our emotional support child. Do you have one of those? You just need those people in your life. And then finally, my daughter, Rosalie, is two years old. And um, I've never been hit in the face more in my life than by Rosalie Noel Bennett. So it's a privilege to be here. This is kind of an exciting month for us. Seven years ago this month, My family and I packed up everything that we owned into a U-Haul trailer, and we moved 3,000 miles across the country to plant a church in Portland, Oregon. And Portland is known by many of you as the least religious city in America, and we found that to be true immediately. But we are so excited to see what God was going to do, and we're so glad that we got to go. We're so glad that the church is planted and still reaching people to this day, and we're so glad we got to move back home. Because, I mean, in the South, this is the place where the people are friendly and the tea is sweet. Can I get an amen? Yes. And so it was an amazing ride, but I'll never, ever forget the night before our very first preview service. So this is a moment that I had been praying for for 10 years, just dreaming about what God was going to do. It was summertime, and we had done gospel conversations throughout the whole city. We had invited hundreds and hundreds of people to come join us, and the moment of truth was about to hit. We were meeting in this really cool historic old building, 100-year-old building, right in the heart of downtown Portland two blocks away from the river, nestled right between 2nd and 3rd Avenue. It was 10 o'clock at night, and I was in my nervous energy, just like preparing the space, like rearranging the chairs, like trying to pray, but too nervous to pray, when all of a sudden, at 10 p.m., we heard a commotion outside. Now, if you've ever seen the news in Portland, this could mean anything. It could have been a political protest. It could have been an Antifa protest. It could have been uh, an environmental protest, but let's be honest, it was probably a protest. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, man, I've got to go see this because it's going to be great in the newsletter. And so I ran down the stairs. I'm right on Stark Street. There's nothing happening on 2nd Ave, but there I see it on 3rd Avenue. And standing right next to me was my teenage brother who had come out for the summer to help us win people to Jesus. And as we walked a few feet forward, we saw what was occurring. It's one of Portland's most famous events. It's called the Naked Bike Ride. That'll get you in the mood for church. I can tell you one thing. There were no stars in the sky that night, but there was a full moon and it wasn't pretty. I know what it's like to try to talk about the truth of Jesus in a city that doesn't even really believe in the concept of truth anymore. And I know what it's like to see the pain that that causes. I think that this is not something that's just going on in Portland. We're seeing it around our world today. The rest of the world isn't far behind Portland. People in Portland love to set their own rules and as they say, live their own truth. 
That's a phrase capturing culture in this moment, but I'm just not sure that it always works. Like I said, I've seen the pain it can cause because no matter what you think, life is a powerful teacher. One smart person gave a simple definition of truth. Truth equals reality. Truth equals reality. But when it comes to truth, here's what I've found in doing ministry with real people who've walked away from the concept of truth. I found that people rarely struggle with reality. They struggle with authority. I believe that truth is on trial, not just in Portland, but in our culture and maybe in your own heart because people want to be their own authority. And the truth is, it's devastating us. I mean, truth is the capital city of live your own truth. And yet it's also got the highest rates of depression and suicide in the nation because maybe human beings just really aren't that great at knowing what we want. I was reading a book by brain researcher, Anna Lemke. She is a psychiatrist and the chief of the Stanford Addiction Clinic. It's her whole business to know how our brains work. She's obsessed with knowing what's true and how humans respond. And she, she condemns the idea that the key to happiness is living your own truth. She says the surest way to misery is to do whatever you want, whenever you want. Here's what she writes. Why? In this unprecedented time of wealth, freedom, technological progress, and medical advancement, do we appear to be unhappier and in more pain than ever? The reason we're all so miserable may be because we're working so hard to avoid being miserable, and the truth is we're not very good at it. Human beings have a terrible history of knowing what we really want. And if you've ever felt that way, you're not alone. We live in a world that's filled with lies. The new religion of the day is individualism, but it's killing us. And on the way to living our truth, each of us are faced with an inconvenient question. What if your truth isn't true? If only there was a standard to hold on to. If only there was a source of truth that cannot be moved, a source of life that cannot be shaken. If only there was freedom from the tyranny in a world filled with lies and confusion. And today we've gathered in this room because 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus claimed to be the solution to it all. Today we're going to talk about truth. And I hope that you consider this. I hope. Because I would wager that what you believe about truth might just be the most important thing about you. You know why? because you build your future where you place your trust. What do you believe about truth today? We're gonna to see in the scripture that this moment in history isn't the first time truth has been on trial. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to join with me in the book of John. We're gonna to turn to chapter 18 and we're gonna see a conversation between two men. A few months ago, a trial gripped the world as um, Johnny Depp and Amber Hurt faced off in court. But today we're going to read about the most famous trial in history. As two men squared off, Jesus and Pilate. And I believe that as we explore the claims of Jesus, we're going to see that in a world filled with lies, 
Jesus Christ is worthy of your trust. Let's pick up right here in John chapter 18, verse 33. The scripture says this. And so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? We have to remember that the Bible is the real account of conversations that happened with real people in a real place and time. And if you don't understand the intrigue and drama behind this conversation, you're just gonna see it as another Bible verse. But let me give you some history. When Pilate, the governor of Rome, occupying Jerusalem, asked Jesus Christ, the quiet revolutionary, if he was the king, he was the context. You see, Israel had seen better days up to this point. Long gone were the glory days of King David and the riches of King Solomon. These are people that had faced humiliation on the world stage, defeat by the Assyrians, captivity by the Babylonians, and even occupation by the Romans. Have you ever seen someone who has a broken spirit? It's one thing when people take your land, it's another when they take your pride and make you question your own sense of identity. And these are people who are longing for a promise. You see, through it all, they held on to a hope, the prediction of the prophets. The group of people who hundreds of years before Jesus ever set foot on planet Earth predicted how he would be born, how he would live, even how he would die. And these prophets gave the people this flickering flame of hope. They said, one day there will be one who comes and he will set us free. And the world was yearning just like our world is yearning now. And so when Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? This was a dangerous question. Life and death are in the balance. Verse 34, we see Jesus' answer. Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I may not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. That was an inconvenient truth that the world wasn't ready for. See, they had ideas of what their Messiah would look like, that he would pick up a sword and overthrow the Romans and win the day and make Jerusalem great again. And Jesus had a different kind of strategy. Who is this Messiah that we've been waiting for? This one who heals the lepers, who gives sight to the blind, who seeks the lost, who loves the outcast, who gives hope to the poor, who gives justice to the oppressed. Who is this Jesus? You know what we see in history is that when people talked about life, the people followed him. When Jesus talked about life, the people followed him. When Jesus talked about truth, the people crucified him. Let's pick back up in our story in verse 37. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Truth was staring him in the face. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. And for this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world. Here's why Jesus came to bear witness to the truth. 
Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him a question that reverberates into this room today. What is truth? Do you know that your answer to that question will determine your future? I wanna pause for prayer and then we're gonna unpack what the scripture has to say for us today. Would you bow with me? Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you have come and lived, gave your life and rose again. We pray that by your spirit, you would meet us here so that we can know the truth and walk in your freedom. In the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. Love him or not, Jesus is the most compelling figure who ever lived. He said a lot about truth and it wasn't always popular, but the important question we can ask today is do you trust Jesus? Here's the first thing that I think we see in this passage today. This is the bold, audacious claim. Why is Jesus different from every other world leader, from every other figure in history who came with a new promise and a new set of ideas? Here's what's so different about Jesus. Jesus didn't just come to explain the truth. Jesus came to embody the truth. He said, I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who's of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate says, what is truth? That's a great question. And it's one that Jesus never shies away from because in a world desperate for answers, one of the greatest gifts would be truth. I mean, what if someone could come along and resolve all the mystery and give certainty to a future filled with chaos? In the book of John alone, Jesus talks about truth 20 times. And the night before his trial, he was meeting with some close friends. And they were having dinner and some feet got washed and some questions were asked. And Jesus, who was about to experience history's most excruciating pain, was thinking of his disciples. And he turns to them in John 14. And he's trying to comfort their spirits because this is the kind of king who loves his people. And he says to them, I don't want your hearts to be troubled. Let me give you a heads up. I'm paraphrasing. In a while, you're not going to see me anymore. But I want you to know it's not by accident. I'm not abandoning you. I'm actually going to prepare a way. I'm going to go make this kingdom where every tear will be wiped away, where every joy will be fulfilled, where every evil will be defeated, and I'm going to make a way for you. And his disciple Thomas, who was never afraid of a good question, and by the way, shouldn't our churches be place, places where people can ask good questions? He pipes up and he says, yeah, that sounds great about the way, but like, what if we don't know the way? And Jesus made one of the shocking, most shocking claims of history. He looks at him and he says, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus never came just to explain the truth. Jesus came to set us free by embodying the truth. And why is Jesus still making an impact today? It's because he embodies truth itself. Throughout history, this is what men and women have found so compelling about Jesus. I want you to know, by the way, it is not crazy to believe that Jesus is the source of truth. Brilliant people throughout history have come to this conclusion 
because it's not a question of information, it's a question of authority. There's a man by the name of Blaise Pascal, who's in the 1600s. He was a physicist and a mathematician, and he gave us historic advancements in his field. He taught us about hydraulics and atmospheric pressure and the nature of the vacuum. And he was famous in his scientific research for demanding empirical evidence. He wanted to see the facts and he wanted to know the facts about this life. And so he began to do what many of us have done. He began to pursue the deeper questions of life. And when he did, do you know what he found? It wasn't what, it was who. He found Jesus. And here's what this brilliant thinker who still contributes to the field of science today, here's what he said. There's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the creator made known through Jesus. There's a second thing that we see. Truth is still on trial. I don't know if you've turned on the news lately, but truth is still on trial. Now, truth is the matter of debate. It's taken form in our social media comments. It's even its own social media app. Truth is still on trial. John 18, 37, Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. And you know what I really think is happening here? Pilate wasn't threatened by the fact that Jesus was a savior because he knew that people needed saving and Pilate wasn't going to do it. He wasn't threatened by the fact that Jesus was a healer. Do you know that history teaches us that Jesus encountered a man grieving the loss of his daughter and because crazy miracles happened around Jesus, Jesus rose her from the dead. These were the stories circulating. Jesus, Pilate didn't care that Jesus was a healer and, and Pilate certainly didn't care that Jesus was a teacher. Pilate was threatened because Jesus is a king. Why is truth on trial today? People don't just struggle with information. They struggle with authority. I know I do. When Jesus talked about life, the people followed him. When Jesus talked about truth, the people crucified him, but get this. When Jesus' words came true, his followers changed the world. Because when you conquer the grave, you get to set the agenda. And most people I've met in life don't even really doubt that the world needs a king. They really don't even doubt that Jesus could be that king. I was talking to a friend a few years ago by the name of Rich Sapleta. And Rich was formerly the head of neuropsychology at the University of Georgia and the faculty advisor of the Atheist Club on campus. And through a series of conversations with believers, students, he came to faith in Jesus. And I was like, here we go, I'm gonna get the silver bullet. Like I'm gonna get these answers in my back pocket. The next time I meet someone who doesn't believe, I'm gonna be like, boom, the atheist believe this and is saved, believe. And I was like, what was it? Like what, what was the magic bullet that won you to faith? He goes, oh, that didn't exist. I said, okay. He said, the first thing is people gave me space to deal with my doubts. They didn't make me feel like I had to defend what I believe and I started to listen to what I actually said I believed. And in my own mind, I didn't buy it anymore. And the second thing is a friend invited me to church and they were so kind and I saw this goodness all over them that I couldn't explain. And the preacher was talking about the resurrection, which by the way, skeptical historians struggle to disprove. And he said, I had to ask myself the truth. Do I believe that happened? And as a man of science, I knew that I did. And if I did, that changed everything. It's not crazy to believe in Jesus. 
It's not crazy to seek him as the source of all truth. I was listening to another YouTuber by the name of Alex O'Connor. He is famous for talking about atheism online. And in the most recent interview that I heard with Alex, it was so profound. He said, yeah, um, I've been listening a lot to the cosmological argument, which that was a big word for me. I had to look it up. It dates all the way back to Aristotle. And essentially, Aristotle says that in a universe filled with movement, there must be a mover. <laughs> had a conversation with a friend named Sam once, and he was at the time an atheist, um, and he was just drilling me like, Aaron, you seem like a smart person. I was like, I got you fooled. He was like, you seem smart, but how is it that you believe Jesus is alive? And I said, Sam, before I answer you that, just answer me this, how did we get here? And so he began to go on this tangent of things that he's read and seen. And I said, that all sounds great, but I have a question like, how did it start? Because that might speak to how it's gonna end. And he didn't have an answer. In this world, it's not that people believe that the universe lacks a king. The real question is whether or not he is a good king. People see chaos in the world and they blame Jesus. That's no accident. It's not an accident that the world is filled with confusion. And so I think that we owe it to Jesus to hear what he says about the chaos, amen? Jesus spoke out against the source of all chaos. It's so interesting. Did he blame the corrupt government oppressing him? No. Did he blame the power-hungry religious people of his day? No. In fact, as he was bleeding and dying on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. But when Jesus talked about the source of the chaos that comes against you and me every single day, he wasn't afraid to name names. Look what he said in John chapter eight, verse 44. He says, you're of your father, the devil, and your will is to bring your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he's a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. Can I tell you one thing? Jesus, the source of truth, believed in the devil. There's this old quote that says, one of the greatest schemes of the enemy is to convince people that he doesn't exist. I think it's because you and I don't like to see sensationalized views of the devil. Like in popular culture right now, you can go see movie trailers about demonic possession and, and you think this is really my life, this is really what we're up against. But in Jesus's most definitive teaching of the devil, he didn't point to all that weird and scary stuff. He said, here's the real problem, it's his lies. Man, this world is filled with lies that you and I have to navigate every single day. I have a marketing degree in public relations. I know, I've helped write some of those lies. I repent. <laughs> so where did all these lies come from? A lot of people think it started in the 70s with the corruption scandals. That's when it really began to erode in government. These lies that are ruining our country, it started in the 70s. Can I tell you, it didn't start in the 70s, it started in the garden when an evil serpent asked Adam and Eve to question, is God really good? On the worst days when I struggle the most in faith, it's not the realities of the universe that bother me. It's the question, is God really good? Lies are the enemy's greatest weapon. 
And they're like the worst diseases. They love to spread. And their nature is to kill. If we really had a savior, if we really had a king who could win the day, you know what his greatest weapon would be? Truth. His weapon would be truth. I wonder what, what lies we might be believing today. The lie that you're not good enough, that you're a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God, that maybe you can have a little bit of his goodness, but not everything because of that thing in your past that you just can't stop thinking about. It's a lie because the blood of Jesus is enough. It's enough. It's enough to set you free. Jesus doesn't want some of you. He came for all of you. He gave all of himself to know all of you. And anything other than that is a lie. What about the lie that God has given up on you? Man, I've sat across from coffee from a whole bunch of people who have thought that before. Can I tell you that's a lie? What about the lie that you have to look more beautiful or you have to make more money to be happy? Or what about the lie that says you will never find healing? We need a king that doesn't just explain the truth. We don't need good advice. We need salvation. We need a king that doesn't just explain the truth. We need a king who embodies the truth, who defeats the enemy forever, who keeps the promises that he makes. We need not only a king, we need a good king. And here's what Jesus said. If you want to know, like, what's he all about? Like, what does Jesus really want from me? I had a friend one time, he was just on the brink of faith. And I was like, what keeps you from going in? Like, what keeps you from going just saying yes. And they said, I I'm just afraid of what Jesus wants from me. The truth is, it's not about that. It's about what Jesus wants for you. And Jesus never leaves that a mystery. In John 8, 31, Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. Aren't you grateful today that truth is knowable? He says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Anybody needs some freedom today. There's a third thing that we see. Truth always stands the test of time. There's that silly old story about the young boy who loved superheroes and he watched them so much that he began to believe his truth was that he could fly. And so he took that belief um, up to the roof because he was going to step and walk in his own truth. And he did, and he found out that life is a powerful teacher and that reality always wins the day. Some lessons are learned the hard way, but joyful people make friends with reality. Your future is at stake and it's completely dependent about what you believe about truth. I wanna go back to our story for a moment in John 18, 38, where Pilate says, I find no guilt in him, but the story didn't end there because Pilate still had a choice and so did the people. There were two revolutionaries in captivity that day. And the first had these religious ideas that God was gonna come and restore greatness to his city. And he used political means to achieve kingdom goals. He's part of an insurrection to overthrow the Roman government. And he was captured for his crimes. He said, find your enemy so you can defeat them and kill them. And on that day, that man won the vote, and his name was Barabbas. The crowd called his name, and they sent the other revolutionary to the cross, the one leading a quiet revolution, who said, find your enemies so you can love your enemies. And that savior stretched out his arms 
And the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin so that we can know and become the righteousness of God. And that revolutionary gave his life that day, but the story didn't end because truth wins in the end. The revolution of Barabbas is lost to history, but the revolution of Jesus conquered Rome. 300 years after his resurrection on the same ground where Christians were once martyred, the Roman believers built a church. And I encourage you today, church, place your trust in the one who is trustworthy. You can say a lot of things about truth when you have the power to walk out of your own grave. Truth always wins in the end. Who will you follow and who will you trust? I encourage you, trust Jesus, the only one with the power to save. And I hope that some of you today are encouraged. As I was writing this, I was thinking to myself, man, most of the people that I bet I'll preach this to kind of already believe this. And it's encouraging to have your faith emboldened and exhorted. Like in the Bible, we're called to do that. But I was praying and asking God, like, what else do your peop people need to hear? And I think the fourth thing that we see is this. If truth is a person, then truth has a personality. If the claims of Jesus are so audaciously good, if the promise of everlasting life in heaven is so irresistible, if the character of Jesus is so commendable, then why hasn't everyone come to know Jesus? I think it's because we live in a world filled with people who speak the words of life with a tone of voice filled with hate. And the truth of the matter is, if truth is a person, then truth has a personality. If truth is a weapon, how do we wield it? I think there's a lot of bad examples. In Portland, we used to see bad examples all the time. People standing on megaphones, not even looking people in the eye, telling them where they were gonna go if they didn't do what they said. But if truth is a person, truth has a personality. What is the personality of Jesus? It's filled with love. We have a culture that redefines love. The love is just letting anybody do whatever they want. Can I tell you that's not love? I heard a story about a woman named Joy in 2015, and she started getting really bad headaches. And she had some background in the medical field, and so she went to urgent care, and urgent care knew her background, and so they kind of agreed with her. They just told her, yeah, like what you believe is true. Um, you probably are dealing with some low blood pressure, some allergies, and so they recommended a, a prescription allergy medication and sent her home. But guess what? The headaches didn't go away. And so two days later, and she was still suffering, she decided to check into her general physician. And her general physician said, you know what I really think it is? I think you're dealing with migraines. And so he prescribed a really powerful painkiller because like who would want to offend? Like, you know, whatever you think it is, I think that's what it is. You tell me what you think, I'm just gonna prove it. And three days later, Joy was found unresponsive. She was rushed to the hospital. And guess what? They learned the truth. She was dealing with a brain aneurysm and she had to be rushed into surgery. And guess what? The truth saved her life. And if you and I are people who believe we have a life-saving truth, then what is our mission? It's to speak the truth in love. 
It's not just to go into a world to try to explain truth in the social media comments. It's to go out into a world and embody the truth. I believe that we're living in a people who are desperate to see a generation of spirit-filled people willing to embody the truth. And if truth is a person, truth has a personality, how is truth impacting your personality? I want to show you this passage in Ephesians 4, verse 14. This is the great advice and counsel and command to the church. It says, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. Praise God. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies. So clever they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Do you know what the world is desperate to see? Not a lot of people puffed up with more information. The world is desperate to see people experiencing genuine transformation. Jesus never came just to explain the truth. He came to embody the truth. And I wonder today if there's anything holding you back from living that life in a full way. I have some questions for you. I've been praying for you all week that the Holy Spirit would stir in moments like this. Here's a question. First, ask God to reveal the lies in your own life. Even the psalmist needed God's help. Have you noticed that the most dangerous lies are just slightly altered truths? And I wonder if there's a lie planted in your life a long time ago, maybe by a good meaning person, maybe by a situation, maybe by a mean person, and it's stealing and killing and destroying God's best for you. Can I just tell you the most loving thing I can tell you today is search for lies that you have believed and repent and replace them with truth. The second thing is ask God to reveal his truth to you. See, repenting of lies shouldn't just leave us empty. It should make room for God's best. Jesus said, abide in my truth and I'll set you free. I know a whole lot of people who claim God's truth and wonder why it's not working all the way. Hey, I went to that church one time. Hey, I showed up on Sunday. Hey, I nodded along. I'm on the right side of this debate and this conversation. Jesus, I claim the truth. Where's my power? And Jesus said, here's the power. Abide in my truth. Get close to me. I'm a person and I'm still speaking. I'm a king and I'm alive. See what Jesus has to say to you. And the third thing, oh church, this is my prayer for us. Will you pray for me? I need your prayers too. The third thing is that we would live like Jesus would live if he were living through us. Imagine the revolution. I don't know about you, but as I look around this world, I think we need a revolution. A real revolution of truth, of life and real freedom. I'm ready to see captives set free. I'm ready to see the blind receive sight. I'm ready to see the dead raised to life. Can I tell you, that's the power God has given us through his truth.